uh, in the future. Um, happy Father's Day, uh, and more importantly, uh, happy beginning of summer day. Today is the official first day of summer. That's more important. Yeah, it's a good, it's good day. It's a good day. You can open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, we're just going to simply continue our sermon series through the book of Exodus. Um, I'm going to use this screen that I can see better. Uh, I don't have a special message for Father's Day this year. I don't have a message about fatherlessness uh, this year. Uh, didn't feel led to do that. We're just going to continue with Exodus. I will say this, though. Tom Sargent and I have a new podcast justice series coming out next week uh, about justice for the fatherless. So that'll kind of be recorded this week and sent out next week, and we'll uh, release a few of those. But for today, we're just going to continue our study through the book of Exodus. Uh, but where we are in the book of Exodus, I, I want to direct especially to men, all men, uh, but especially, especially to uh, men, uh, and, and we're going to call it How Real Men Fight. How real men fight. Now, women, a lot of this will apply to you as well. All right. Um, so don't. I'm not. I'm not drawing a too stark of a distinction here. Uh, one day I'll do a series on gender. That'll be fun. That'll be. That'll be fun. I'm serious. I'm serious. We're gonna do that. Uh, but men, especially, oftentimes feel like they need to prove that they're a man by how they stand up and fight and uh, overcome obstacles. When I was a kid, in fact, uh, I, I, was, uh, I had a lazy eye. It was crossed in, and so kids appropriate called me crisscross. If you're too old or too young to get that reference, you can ask somebody, you can Google it, uh, but, but um, they would call me crisscross and, 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 and they would pick on me. I got picked on a lot. I wasn't, it wasn't just how I looked with my eye. I was just an awkward kid. So I got picked on by my older brother's friends. I even got picked on by my little brother's friends. How pathetic is that? I got picked on by the kids that I wanted to be friends with my age and, and weren't friends with me. So everybody was picking on me. And I got to a point where I was like, oh, I ain't going to take it anymore. And I would just start fighting back. And I would go over the top. Like they would call me a name and I felt like I had to jump over a bus seat to start punching them. Oftentimes I lost these fights, but I was, I'm going down swinging. Because I had to prove that I'm a man. I had to prove that nobody's going to get one over on me. I had to prove that I'm somebody who's going to stand up for myself. It got to the point where even when I started to make friends later on in middle school, I remember kids would, would you know, they would tell those your mama jokes kind of thing. And I would feel like I would just have to give them a Charlie horse or punch them just to get back at them. And it would bug me all day at school if I was like, I didn't get him back. I didn't get him back yet. Like that, that was like, you know... It would, it would eat at me until I can like, give him a Charlie horse. Uh, and, and that continued on into my adult years where I just felt like, okay, I'm not going to back down from any battle. I'm not going to back down from any obstacle. Like, I, I wanted to be like Rocky who went the distance, right? I, I wanted to be like Martin Luther King who refused to stop protesting even after getting death threats. Or, or, or uh, uh, Winston Churchill with the Battle of Dunkirk who refused to negotiate with Hitler. I wanted to be like that. Uh, but as I shared a few weeks ago, too often I would rush into battles using the wrong tools, wrong weapons, uh, and, and, and sometimes uh, react out of my sinful, prideful nature and, instead of fighting the battles that God would have me fight in the way that he would have me fight them. 
Uh, so the, the, the desire to fight, the, 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 the com, uh, feeling compelled to jump into battles is not wrong. I believe it's God-given. It's, 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 it's a wiring of ours. We're made in the image of God. And we, we talked about how God fought on behalf of the Israelites in this series. He brought plagues on the Egyptians. He swallowed them up in the Red Sea. And when they got through the Red Sea, they sang a song of praise, praising God that he was their warrior. So if we're made in the image of God, then God's put in our souls this desire to fight against injustice, to stand up for what is right. But because of our sin, because uh, the world was fractured through sin, uh, in our pride and in our rebellion, uh, that God-given wiring has been distorted, it gets abused, it gets neglected, it gets misused in all kinds of ways. And I think especially with men, uh, since I used a few, you know, Rocky as a movie reference, I want to continue with that. Um, some of us go the way of the bully, like Biff Tannen in Back to the Future. Remember him? We, we go the machismo route. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the tough guy. I'm going to push people around and I'm going to show that I'm a man that way. And, and, and some of us uh, who have been bullied in the past, that's our, that's our tendency is to become bullies. We don't know it. But we're like, I'm, never, I'm not going to let anybody take advantage of me. And so we almost become the bullies with our, with our, with our uh, words, with our manipulation. I ain't going to let anybody stop me. So we become bully-ish, uh, kind of like Biff Tannen. Others of us are like this guy, Colonel Upham from Saving Private Ryan. Do you remember this guy? Did we see this movie? Remember who he was? He went the opposite extreme. He became passive and complacent and didn't want to engage the battles that he was supposed to engage in. So here he is watching a buddy of his die in a knife fight with a German soldier when he could have stopped it. Some of us go the way of being passive and complacent. There's a difficulty with our teenage kids and we don't want to have those awkward conversations so we just come home, go down to our man cave and check out. Or our marriage is falling apart and we don't want to think about that. So we'd rather just work late hours because that's where we're celebrated instead of going home and dealing with the difficulties in our marriage, right? It's complacency, it's passivity. And then others of us, we, we think we're fighting the right battles. We rush into what we think are the right battles and then we find out we had it all wrong. Like... This guy, Walter White in Breaking Bad, who thought that by building a drug empire he could support his family after getting cancer, and in the end he realized he destroyed his family through it. And that's what some of us do. So that's because of our pride, our sin, our rebellion, that we take this God-given wiring to fight, to do battle, to stand up for what is right, and misuse it. So again, the title is How Real Men Fight. Ladies, some of this will apply to you for sure, for sure. But I especially want to direct it to the men, and especially, can I say, to the young men among us, to, 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 to teenagers, to young adults. Can you lean into this? This is something that if you can uh, uh, grasp at a young age how to discern what the right battles are and, and, and the right ways to fight them, Oh, it'll do, so, do you so much good and probably save you a lot of heartache down the road. All right? So, we're going to pray and we're going to get into it. We're going to be in Exodus 17, verses 8 through 13. Jesus, would you speak to us today on a day when this, this holiday, this Hallmark holiday, maybe has uh, triggered some wounds for some of us. 
and, and maybe it's just a distraction for others. God, I pray that you would just settle our souls. We want to hear from you. We, we need to hear from you. You're the creator of the universe. And if you really died and rose again on our behalf, then we can expect that if you're alive, you're working. And if you're working, you want to show us where you're working. And you've invited us in. I pray this in your name. Amen. Is my mic okay? Okay, great, 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 great. Want to double check on that. So here we go. Exodus 17, starting in verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. So you've seen the Israelites journeying through the wilderness. They came to bad water, salty water. They came to uh, uh, a lack of food. They came to a lack of water last week. And now another hardship is that they're being attacked by the Amalekites. Uh, the Amalekites were this uh, notorious clan. They descended through the line of Esau. Um, later in Deuteronomy 25, it says how they attacked the Israelites. And it was despicable. The Israelites were traveling. The Amalekites came and attacked from behind where the luggage and the kind of the baggage and belongings were, but where also the weaker folks were, the elderly, the children. So presumably they attacked those who were unarmed, the innocent ones at the back, took them out in a despicable way. So here's another hardship. Here's another trial. How do the Israelites respond? How does God respond more importantly? Well, check it out. Verse 9. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So God says to Moses, and Moses tells them, All right, we're actually going to go to battle here. This is the first time they're going to battle. When Egypt had, when the Egyptians had uh, come against them, God said, You be still. I'm going to fight, I'm gonna fight for, the, for you here. They weren't to pick up a sword. They weren't ready to. But now God has delegated, in a sense, his authority to them and saying, you, you can pick up a sword now. You, you go to battle. Now, he's, he's not saying you do it because I'm done. I'm taking a break. No, he's saying, I'm going to fight with you. And that's why he had Moses go to the top of the hill with, a, with, with his rod, his staff in his hand. That staff was a symbol of God's deliverance for the people of Israel. It was a symbol of God's judgment on the Egyptians. Uh, we, we've seen Moses take that staff and dip it in the Nile River and it turned to blood. We've seen him hold it up and other plagues came down on the Egyptians. We saw him hold it up and the, uh, the Red Sea parted. We saw him hold it up again. The Red Sea came together and swallowed the Egyptians. Last week, we saw him take that staff and strike the rock and water came out. And so when uh, Moses says, I'm going to go to the top of the hill with the staff in my hand, that's a symbol that God is our deliverer. God is fighting for us. Like we just sang, the battle belongs to the Lord. So he's sending Joshua, you're going to go fight. You get the men, you get the swords, you go fight. But I'm going to the hill with the, the, the rod in my hand because this is a symbol of us being under the authority of God and us depending on him as our deliverer from this uh, Amalekites. Let's keep going. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Okay? So 
in addition to the, the symbol of the, the rod, the staff being of, you know, God's, God's deliverance and God's judgment on, on, on their enemies, just holding up one's hands was, a, was how they prayed in ancient times. Almost like we get on our knees and we fold our hands as a symbol of prayer and dependence. Right? You see somebody on their knees with their hands folded, you can believe, oh, they're, they're praying. They're, they're depending on God here. And so Moses holding up his hands was a symbol of, God, we're dependent on you. We're dependent on you to fight this battle for us. We're dependent on you to go before us. And, and, and so much uh, did God want them to understand this connection that it seemed like when Moses' arms got tired, uh, the Amalekites started winning. Because God wanted to show them, hey, there's a partnership here. There's a partnership here. You guys aren't just fighting on your own. You need me. You need, you need to almost channel my, my, my power for the army. He wanted them to see that they needed to grab hold of him. That made all the difference. Grabbing hold of God in, in prayer, independence. And let's, let's keep going. Verse 12. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and her held his hands up. It was so important that we get his hands up, right? One, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Now, God had promised victory for the Israelites. He had said, I'm going to lead you into the promised land. I'm going to, I'm going to you know, drive out the other uh, peoples before you. So that was a promise, but they still had to fight. The army still had to fight. Prayers still had to be prayed. And uh, it seems like prayer was the most important work, especially the prayer of the leader, Moses. Who, who ne he needed to stay dependent on God. He needed to show that he was under God's authority. Verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. Remembered. Future generations. I want them to know about this. And make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Uh, the Amalekites are going to continue to attack the Israelites. They're never going to repent. They're never going to turn to God. And God's promising, I'm going to continue to fight on your behalf against them. I want you to write this down. I want you to remember that so that when the next battle happens, you remember that I am fighting for you. And then this is why Moses does what he does in verse 15. Moses built an altar and called it the Lord is my banner. The Lord is our deliverer. There, a banner is something that an army would, would unite under. The Lord is our banner. The Lord is the one that we're uniting under. We belong to him. He is our deliverer. He is our warrior. He is our commander-in-chief, so to speak. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. God will continue to fight on our behalf. So Joshua and the army took the swords. Moses, Aaron, and Hur did the praying, but the glory went to God. God won the battle. The Lord is my, my banner. And all of this was a foreshadow of how God would fight for his people in the ultimate sense one day. Joshua's name in Hebrew was Yeshua. And one day there would be another Yeshua born to a virgin named Mary. His Greek name was Jesus. And he would go fight for God's people, sent by God to fight on behalf of of God's kingdom, fight for God's people, fight against God's enemies, the ultimate enemies, sin, death, Satan, and this uh, army of demons behind him. 
And Jesus would fight that battle by submitting to the Father's perfect plan. Like Moses did on the hill, submitting to God, we're under your authority. So did Jesus, the Son of God, live a life in constant submission to the Father. In constant prayer, we see Jesus' life. He's always going to a solitary place to pray. He prays before he chooses his disciples. He prays and then he says, we got to move on to the next town. He prays in the garden, God, I don't want to have to do this, but if it's your will, then I'm submitted to it. That's how he fought, through prayer, dependence on his father. And then it climaxed with him raising his arms like Moses did at the top of that hill. And those arms were nailed to a cross where he conquered and paid for sin for you and I. And then you know what it says, the Bible? It's a crazy thing. It says that after that, he rose again, came back to life. He ascended into heaven. And you know what he's doing in heaven at the right hand of the Father? He is praying for you and I. He's interceding for you and I. It says in Romans 8, verse 34, this is the Apostle Paul talking. He says, who is the one who condemns? No one. In other words, you screw up this week, you're feeling guilty. Paul's saying if you belong to Christ, nobody can condemn you. Nobody can condemn you. Why? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He's praying for you. He's interceding for you. How crazy is that? That Jesus is praying for you. The struggles you're going through, the temptations you're going through, the battles in your family, he's praying for you. And so if the king of the universe... The Son of God, our Savior, lived a life of total dependence on his Father and is still spending time praying for us. How much more should we, weak human beings, follow his example by fighting our battles through prayer and dependence on God? So that's what I'm submitting to you today. Prayer is how real men fight. Prayer is how real men fight. No matter how experienced you are or how much you think you know the right answers and you can fix things, prayer is how real men fight. I want to I end last section of the message by helping you apply this in a practical way with five questions. Okay, I'm going to walk you through five questions. You can take notes if you want. Try to remember these. Number one, are you praying? Again, this is directed specifically at men, okay, but everybody, it applies to everybody. Just Father's Day, you want to challenge the men especially. Are you praying about which battles God wants you to engage in? Are you praying about which battles God wants you to engage in? Remember, They didn't go out and fight against the Egyptians prior to this. They didn't take their swords and clubs and try to fight. God God was like, I'm ready. Let me do the fighting there. With the Amalekites, he sent them off, but they were still under his authority. That's Moses with the staff. We're still under his authority. The Lord is my banner. We're under his authority. They only fought the battles that God said, go fight. That God was sending them into battle to, to fight. You and I can find a whole lot of things to fight about that aren't necessarily... 
important to God. And sometimes it's harmful to what God is doing when we just look for battles to fight, right? In our homes, we can find a lot of things to nitpick about. Am I right, men? To be upset about. We can harp on not feeling respected in a given moment. But is that really the battle worth fighting in that moment? This is why, men, it is so important that we are in God's Word. God's Word tells us, reminds us, what is important to God. What matters the most a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now? You want to live in a way that in a thousand years from now, you go, I'm glad I picked those battles to fight and didn't spend so much time, energy, and frustration with these other battles, right? There are things that are uh, of important to a certain degree, but they might not be worth all the energy, all the time, all the division, right? I can get on my kids about a lot of things in my house, Leaving their shoes out in the backyard when I'm trying to mow the lawn. Not finishing their dinner. Importance of not wasting food. I can pick a lot of things. And all those things I can say are justified. are not important. But how important? How important? We've got to pick and choose our battles. Don't we? In marriage, we've got to pick and choose our battles. We've got to pick and choose our battles. Consider what you rant and rave about on social media. If, so, if you were to, man, maybe you don't have social media, but if somebody, if you were to die tomorrow and somebody was to look at your social media or look at your texts, let's say your texts, and they see what you try to persuade people about, what you celebrate, what you get angry about, what you rant and rave about, is that how you want to be known? Just posing that question. If you were to die tomorrow, your funeral, and somebody was to look, what's this guy about? And they look at, through your texts and they see your social media, like, oh, that's what he's about. Is that what you want to be known for? I'm just posing the question. Are you prayerfully considering which battles to fight? And listen, there are some important ones out there that maybe God's not sending you off to, be, uh, to, to fight. Think about the controversial things in our, in our world right now. We went through a crazy political season, and we, you know, people trying to convince the other person that they're voting wrong, and read this article, and watch this. Okay, maybe it matters to a certain degree, but how much so? Is it worth dividing that relationship, that family, that church over? How about whether to get vaccinated or not? There's a difficult one. There's a, is it important? Absolutely, it's important to consider those things and do your research. Absolutely. And both sides, I hear the arguments, both sides argue from a place of, well, this is more important for my health. No, this is more important for my family's health. But to what degree? Is it your job to go persuade other people? And to what point? To what degree? To what, what are you willing to sacrifice for? Is God calling you to sacrifice? I'm posing the question, are you prayerfully considering that? How about that financial dispute with that neighbor or that landlord or that tenant? Is it important that, you know, you get what's fair? To a certain degree. But how much time, how much energy, how much frustration are you going to put into that? What's it costing you? And may, is there a bigger battle that's worth fighting there? Like maybe the soul of your neighbor? Maybe they, maybe they don't know anybody who claims to follow Jesus except for you? And is that how you want to spend your time? Just posing the question, are you prayerfully considering which battles God is sending you to fight. And you can look at God's word and see, oh, there's a lot of things that matter to God. And still, God might be sending you to go fight against this justice issue and someone else to fight against that one. So it's just something we should be prayerfully considering. There's some things that all of us need to do battle against, like our sin nature. You know what the Bible says? It says, 
put your sin to death. Crucify the flesh is how the Apostle Paul puts it. That's a battle that we are to fight every day. Are we putting as much time and energy and focus into, I want to put this to death as we are nitpicking other people's behavior? Are we? Or ranting and raving on social media about the next thing that the news reported? Or, or the, 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 the eternal destiny of loved ones? Are we, are, we, are we spending the most time? I guess here's what I'm trying to say. Spend the most amount of time praying for the battles that will matter the most 100 years from now. Number two, second question. Are you praying as if the battle depends on your prayers? We see Moses on top of the hill, right? And when his arms are lowered, Aaron and her have to come like, get your arms up, get your arms up. We, we need to show the army that we're dependent on our Lord. It wasn't a quick, hey guys, we're going to go to battle. Let's say a quick prayer. Do we have time? Oh, we have two minutes. Let's say a quick prayer. Okay, go, 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 go. You know, like we do before a football game or, or, you know, before we go on a long trip. We pray for, you know, traveling mercies real quick. This was ongoing. This is wild. During the length of this battle, I don't know how long it lasted, Moses is up there praying. During the length of the battle, he's praying. It's showing them we are dependent on God this whole way through. Prayer is not something you just tack on real quick because it's, oh, you check the list. My pastor told me I should pray, so do a quick prayer and check it off. No, it's something we're dependent on. And are we praying for those important battles as if those battles are dependent on our prayers? You know what they didn't do, by the way? They didn't hyperanalyze, well, how does God's sovereign control over all things reconcile with us needing to fight and to pray? Because they could have did that. They could have said, well, God promised us to lead us into the promised land, so we don't need to fight. We don't need to pray. We just let God do it. If he wants to get us there, he'll do it. And that's what, sometimes what we do. We say, if God's in control, I don't really need to... Open my mouth. I don't really need to do anything. I don't need to pray. We, we, you know, we overanalyze that, use it as an excuse. No, no, they didn't do that. They, uh, they, they're like, I don't understand that. But we're going to do what we're supposed to do. We're, they're going to go fight. Moses is going to go pray. And, and, and likewise, folks, fellas especially, God said, he's in charge of the world, but he invites us in to be part of changing the world through prayer. I don't understand it. But we don't need to. We just obey. We just go to him and say, God, this thing is important here. Can you change this? My, my, my family member who's stuck in this addiction, I need you to move their heart. Because no intervention that we do is going to move it unless you're at work in their heart. This, this friend of mine who, who I think they're heading down a destructive path. God, I can't stop them unless you are at work in their heart. Are we praying as if those battles are dependent on our prayers? Do we take it seriously? Number three, are you praying for God to be glorified through your battles? Remember, the Lord is my banner. God is our deliverer. He's the one who fights for us. Joshua took to the sword and the army, did the practical fighting. Moses, Aaron, and Hur were praying, but it was for God's glory. God got the praise at the end. Are we praying in a way that God will get the glory at the end. Because whatever trial we're in, guess what? God promises to lead us through to victory for those who belong to him. Now that victory might look slightly different than what you first expect, but that victory is meant to make us go, wow, God's pretty awesome there. Holy cow. What an awesome God he is. Are we praying in such a way that he will get the glory? 
Or do we pray that we are shown to be right? Hmm? A few years ago, maybe two years ago, um, well, let me back up. I've always prayed for True Life Church. A few years ago, I started to pray like, God, like bless True Life Church beyond me in a way that's like, you know, I'm forgotten about. I don't get credit. Like, God, you know, you're, you're blessing True Life Church, and, and it's, you know, folks are forgetting about me. That was easy to do. And then it was two years ago, it was like God tapped me on the shoulder and was like, how about you pray that, God, that I bless True Life Church despite you? Now, you might think, what's the difference? Difference is basically like, wow, God's doing something at True Life Church, and listen, it ain't because of that Pastor Chris. I mean, he means well, but he don't know what he's doing. That's what that means. So at first I was like, oh God, I don't know if that's necessary. I don't, I don't know if we need to go that far. And I just, and then it was like, but why? Why? Why, why don't I want God to be glorified even at my own expense? Because at the end of the day, isn't there freedom in that? Isn't there freedom where I was like, hey, I got nothing to prove. Yeah, I, I don't know what God's doing this. Despite me. Um, and, and so I started praying that. I started to forget about the fact that he was leading me to pray that. And then in time, it started to happen. I started to hear the sentiment get expressed that you mean well, but you kind of didn't, you know, you made a mistake there. You took us down the wrong course there. And, and, uh, and I started to hear that sentiment, you know, expressed either directly to me or behind my back kind of thing. And, uh, and at first I felt the need to get defensive and, to, you know, justify. And, and then God reminded me, hey, I led you to pray that. This is me answering that prayer, that I would be glorified, uh, what God's doing in true life despite you. And I actually was like, ah, oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. Because there's freedom in that. There's freedom in that. If I belong to Jesus, then I have nothing to prove. If I belong to Jesus, I got nothing to prove. You know, our men's group, our, our Tuesday night men's group that I co-lead with Frank Martinez, we were talking recently about how one of the most powerful ways that we can win battles with our kids with their wrong behavior, their, their poor behavior, their uh, sinful behavior, one of the most powerful ways to win those battles is not by persuading them that they're wrong, but by apologizing for the, our poor reactions to their poor behavior. B because when, you know, like, let's say 90% of the situation is on them. You know, they're just acting like little fools. But the 10% is on us, the way we reacted to them. Well... If we can lead the way and apologize, you know what that does? That shows that Jesus is working in us. It shows that we need Jesus as much as they need Jesus. And isn't that more important battle than their behavior? Isn't the saddest thing in the world to have well-behaved kids who don't know Jesus? So I, I, I want them to see Jesus at work. So, so sometimes it's God, be glorified despite me. Even if I have to go apologize, and I, I was a bad dad today. Yeah, you were a bad kid too, but I was a bad dad. And I'm sorry. And maybe if some of you fathers, it's, uh, today's a day for you to apologize to your kids for something. So that's number, uh, what was that? Number three. Okay, we'll last two real quick. Number four, are you using prayer as an excuse not to use your hands? Now this is, this is kind of the, the negative. You don't, you don't want the answer to this to be yes, right? <laughs> the answer should be no. We, we, we don't want to be a people who, who uses, you know, politicians do this. Oh, thoughts and prayers are with you. Meanwhile, they have no intention to do anything about that situation, right? We don't want to be like that. The world sees through that, number one. And number two, it's just not, it's just not who we are as the people of God, dependent on prayer. Because the people, when we're dependent on prayer, if God says, okay, now I want you to step out 
and do something here. I want you to go uh, risk your reputation, risk your comfort, risk your conveniences, risk your money, risk your security, risk your life to stand up for what is right, to stand up for what is good, to stand up for my kingdom, to stand up for what is just, to change a, 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 a policy, to bring the message of Jesus to the outermost parts of the world. But it just has to start and be bathed in prayer. We see this. Joshua fought on the battlefield Moses prayed. They didn't, they didn't use prayer as an excuse not to go fight. While you're fighting, we're going to be praying. And so if we're praying, really praying, God might say, hey, I want you to do something about this. I want you to step into this. It just has to start with prayer because acting without prayer is like hitting the gas pedal on a car without gas in the tank. Or... As Pastor Shea put it, maybe more appropriately, it's like hitting the gas pedal on a car with gas in the tank and you can't see out the windshield. Right? You rush in, you just can't see out the windshield. Prayer is how we both get the power of God and we see the, get the wisdom and clarity to know where the heck we're going. Where God wants us to go, how to fight that battle. Right? And that brings us to the last one. Number five, is your life characterized by prayer? So this is for the fellows especially. And you know what? Here, here's one reason why it's appropriate to direct this at the fellas. When we've done church-wide prayer endeavors, it's mostly women who sign up. Majority. Now, I've seen a shift in an ever-increasing uh, uh, growth in that area with men in the last year. I mean, I, I think the men now outnumber women in, in prayer. But I used to pray that, that the men especially would lean into prayer. Because sometimes we think, oh, I, I can do this. You know, we don't ask for directions. And I, I, I don't need direction from God either. I can just, I, I know what to do here. So that's another reason why I want to really uh, address this to the men, other than it being Father's Day. Is your life characterized by prayer, fellas? And by characterized by prayer, I mean like, my wife, her life is, can be characterized by running. She's a runner. She runs every day. I go for a run with her two, maybe three times a year. And never as long as she normally does anyway. She drops me off and is like, all right, I'm going for my real run now. It makes me feel like a man. <laughs> if I run, I'll do some sprints in my neighborhood just to get my heart rate up. I'm not a runner. My, nobody would ever dare characterize me as a runner. I don't like to run. My wife... Cooks from time to time, but she doesn't like to cook. She's not passionate about cooking. I like to cook. Nobody would characterize her as, oh, Jess is a good, you know, she's, she's a cook. Is your life such? I know, I know, I know, I know. It's all good. It's all good. We are very clear on what we're good at and what we're not. It's all good. Is your life such, when it comes to prayer, where it's like I run or she cooks? where it's tacked on every now and then, when I have time for it, I'll throw it in there, I'll mix it in. Or is your life characterized by prayer, where you are dependent on God? Will you, will you, will you make it a priority to go to God and go, God, I don't, here's a battle, I don't even know what my role is. There's so many things going on. Which ones are even the priority right now? Where we're so dependent on God, I can't make a difference here without you moving. We need to have an intervention on my, on my, 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 my daughter who's struggling with this addiction. God, if you don't move in her heart, this isn't going to be useful. Do something. Is your life characterized by prayer? Are you as dependent 
on prayer as you are on food. Uh, or on the, the gas being in your car when you go to drive it. Or is it more like a car wash? You do it when there's time, when you have the money, you know, the luxury every now and then. Is prayer like the gas in your car or is it more like a car wash? The Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, or uh, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote. Think of that word devote. You're intentional. You're given to it. I'm devoted to this. I'm devoted to prayer. I'm watchful. There's, there's, there's battles out there. There's a spiritual enemy trying to trip us up. Are you watchful in prayer? Like, God, show me how he's at work. Help me not to pick the wrong battles with my family today because he might be trying to trap me. Help me to fight the right ones. Are you watchful? And then thankful. What are you thankful for? Thankful that, number one, Jesus won the victory for you. Thankful that Jesus is interceding for you. He's praying for you. So even when you don't know what to pray for, the, the Spirit in you also intercedes. So you're not alone. Thankful in that. Devoted. Watchful. Our men's group that I previously referenced, we've been fasting together on Thursdays. Some of us, you know, different people in our church fast on different days. And, 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 and we, we send out in a text message, like some, some prayer requests for, for our, our, you know, ourselves, our families, etc. So on Thursdays, we're, you know, we're fasting and we're praying for those things. And he, he, here's why we fast. You know why we fast? Not because we're super spiritual in the slightest. But because it's a way of just like Moses on the top of that hill with his arms raised saying, God, we're dependent on you. Fasting is a way of saying, God, we're so dependent on you. We can't do this in our own strength. We don't know what we're doing own strength. We don't know. We need you. As, as hungry as I am for food, I'm more hungry for you to move in this battle that's so important to me and my family. That's why we do that. I'm weak without you, God. As weak as I am without food, we're weak without you moving. So are you praying? Is your life characterized by prayer? Consider that. Think about that. Think about that. Because prayer is how real men fight. I want to end right now by reading a few blurbs from, I asked a few young adults in our church. And band, you can come on up here actually. I asked a few young adults to write something about their um, fathers who, who they know pray for them, number one, and who have seen some answered prayer because of their father's prayers. And uh, I got three, three young adults in our church whose fathers are also in our church to write something. I want to read those things. Uh, as examples, um, as, as inspiration for us, and also uh, to celebrate a few dads. First one comes from a young woman named Chelsea Dornacker. Dan Dornacker Sr., would you stand up? Chelsea said this, I know my dad has prayed for me to grow in my knowledge of how Jesus loves me. That's one prayer. And a more specific prayer, number two, is for me to understand that God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, according to 2 Timothy. I've seen God answer the first prayer. I've been baptized, and my knowledge, my knowledge of how much he loves me has grown tremendously, even since then. And it keeps growing every day. 
With the second prayer, God has answered it by the following. Filled with self-doubt, fear, and an anxiety-filled mind because of school was consuming me. I thought I was in over my head and that this is impossible and that I would never be good at school. And my dad definitely saw that. So the second Timothy scripture was the first scripture I ever memorized because of my dad. He would pray that over me every time I would take a test. He would pray that over me every time I would take a test, have to go in for clinicals, etc., and would make me repeat it back to him. And I would love when he would do that because I don't think he realized how much peace that gave me. I felt my self-doubt and fear was holding me back the most from passing school. In return, I passed school, something I thought was impossible. At the end of every semester, our clinical instructors would tell us how, how we did throughout the semester. Each time, they would tell me that I had a sense of calm about me in stressful situations, explaining that I would be the one to make the room less chaotic. Even though I did not feel that way sometimes, I feel that God used my clinical instructors to reassure me that those prayers, those prayers by her dad, were being heard and answered. There's one example of a praying dad. The second one was written by Evan Carter. Dan Carter, would you stand up? I had been living on my own for the past year, away from my family and anything to do with God or church. I was making poor choices, which was leading me down a dangerous path filled with drugs and alcohol. This ultimately landed me in the hospital, alive but very scared and alone. My dad had been praying that year for me that I would turn back to God and run after his ways with a desire in my heart to turn from the world. But once I was in the hospital, his prayers became very specific. He prayed that God would put angels around me so I could maintain a calm spirit. He prayed that God would give me access to Christian people and a Bible so I could be encouraged and that I would have access to my phone. He prayed that I would have peace and know that I wasn't alone. I didn't know these prayers at the time, but God did indeed provide me with Christian nurses who prayed with me, a fellow patient who gave me a Bible, a nurse who charged my phone for me against hospital rules, and people who quoted scripture to me randomly when I needed reassurance the most, reminding me that I wasn't alone. That's Evan about his dad. And the last one was written by a young woman named Cassidy about her dad, Frank Martinez. Frank, would you stand up? Many know my father, Frank Martinez, but some may not know he is my bio some may not know that he is not my biological father. Frank was a gift sent into my life from a very young age. Over the years, I have known my dad. He has always been into Christianity and has helped grow my beliefs. He would always pray for my safety traveling to school and back home on his knees every morning before he left to work. He would pray that I build my own relationship with the Lord in my own special way. He would always encourage prayer whenever I felt doubt or fear. I was reluctant of these ways as a young adult, still finding myself, but he never stopped encouraging prayer. As I've grown to see, prayer has helped my life in ways I could never imagine. If only I would have listened sooner. I went through a moment in life where I no longer wanted to suffer in pain, and I just wanted to be with God. God brought new people into my life that truly want the best for me and continued to pray for my well-being. God has helped guide me to understand that I may be struggling now, but my story will help encourage belief in new people that I am healing and that God is real. 
He will not give us anything we cannot handle, and God has a purpose for everything he does. All through prayer and encouragement through my Father, this has been done. Amen. And it's never too late. Fathers, men, it's never too late to start making your life a life characterized by prayer. Keep it up. Keep it up. In fact, before we sing a closing song, I want us to take a moment right now to consider. This is all of us, in person, online, men, women, teenagers, kids. Let's take a moment and just think about the battle or battles that we have right now. I'll just walk us through a time of reflection for a moment. God, what battles are you calling my brothers and sisters to be most engaged in right now? I pray that you would show them that and that the other ones, maybe the ones that may be causing anxiety, that they can let those battles go for now. Show us, God, what's most important to your heart. What will matter the most a hundred years, a thousand years from now? God, we're asking, is, are, are our lives characterized by prayer? Are we devoted to it? And if not, why not? Can you show us that? What would it look like for us to be more devoted to prayer? What would our schedules look like? Our calendars look like? And lastly, Lord, is there an action step that you would have us take? A way to engage? A conversation that needs to be had? An apology that needs to be given? A sacrifice we need to make for the sake of that battle? So that you would get the glory in the end? Show us.
Let's stand and let's celebrate the greatness of our God who fights our battles for us.